them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 in the New King James Version says this, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which by the gospel was preached to you. Turning into chapter 2, now therefore... Laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I want to minister from that passage on this thought this morning, back to the basics, back to the basics. You may be seated. There are two commands in this scripture that I need you to notice this morning. If we're going to understand what the Apostle Peter was writing to us in this passage, there are two commands we need to notice. And it's around these two commands that I want to preach to you today. I want to preach each of these two commands and then I want to, I want to explain what connects both of them through the whole passage and how it needs to be applied to our lives. The first command is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. The apostle writes and says, Love one another fervently with a pure heart. This first command, it's pretty obvious, has to do with love. He says, Since you have purified your souls by obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere Love of the brethren, that love of the brethren, that's the word Philadelphia. It's brotherly love. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Peter is saying, if you have purified your life from sinful desires, if you have purified your mind from the things of the flesh, and you've turned to God by obeying the truth, he gives us a command, if that is true of you, then you are to love one another. Now, how do we obey the truth and get the sinful things out of our life and obey the truth through the Spirit? When you obey the truth, it's one thing, Brother Joe, to hear the truth and to agree with the truth. But when you obey the truth, that means you're putting something into action. And the Apostle Peter is talking here, when we obey the truth of the gospel, it means that we don't just understand the gospel. It's not just that we agree with the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. But when we obey the gospel, when we obey the word of God, it means that we are applying that to our lives in a way that's real, in a way that means that we took action means that we've repented of our sins. We've been baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of our sins. And we've been filled with the gift of God's Spirit evidenced by speaking in other tongues. When we do that, it is the pattern of God that lines up perfectly with Jesus' death, 
burial, and resurrection. And when that happens, there's new life that's born inside of us. And the Apostle Peter says that when you obey the truth and you start, he says, you've been born again. You can look at it in the passage. I believe it's verse 24. You've been born again. He says, you should love one another fervently from a pure heart. Love doesn't act from spite. It acts for the good of the other person. Love doesn't act as a mask for selfish motives. Love is honest and open. Love doesn't desire to be better than other people. Love doesn't desire to destroy other people's reputations. But love rejoices when other people do well. And it rejoices and is glad to give them praise and to commend them for it. You ask yourself, Brother Dustin, we've been talking for a while and we know that the theme of 1 Peter, it's an exile book. It's, it's written, he writes it to the elect exiles who are, writ, who are living throughout the entire world, who are living under conditions that are not conducive to their lifestyle, that doesn't agree with their belief system. Brother Dustin, what does this have to do with any of that? And this is what it has to do with it. In exile, whenever you are in a period of exile and whenever you find yourself in a modern-day Babylon-type setting, it is very important that God's people pull together and not splinter apart. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I've become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. Love thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things and putting away is exactly what Simon Peter is the apostle is writing to us today about in this passage that we've read together from first Peter he's making a point 
about, he's not right, he's, he's, I know that the word milk, and I know he's talking about basics, and I know he's talking about desiring the sincere milk of the word, and I know there's some of the language in there that might lead you to believe that these are people that don't have much experience with God, but the apostle Peter is not writing to novices, and I'm not speaking to novices today. There are many gathered under the sound of my voice this morning that you've spent years living for God, and the things of God are not foreign to you, but the world that we live in could not be more foreign the apostle Paul Peter is not writing to people who have no knowledge of the things of God but he's writing to people who are living in an environment of Babylon that they were not accustomed to living in and they were going to have to learn new ways of how to survive and thrive in God And so he's calling them back to the very basic things of God. He's saying, if you've been born again, if you have obeyed the truth of God through the Spirit, you must love one another. You must love one another. Because if you do not have love, then none of the other deep things of God matter a bit. All of the things that you might aspire to, all the prophecies, all the tongues, all the sacrifice, none of it will matter a bit if you do not have love. You cannot get away from the very basic things of God when you're in Babylon. Brothers and sisters, when we live in the world that we live in today, we cannot take for granted the basics. Somebody has to stand and talk about the basics every once in a while. Somebody has to go, the word of God has to go forth. Simon Peter has to speak to our generation and remind us that it is not merely enough that we know how to conduct ourselves with a holy God, but we must know how to conduct ourselves with one another in love or we won't survive. We'll splinter off into a million pieces. We'll be swept away in the current of this world. So the Apostle Paul, he strikes at the same theme in 1 Corinthians 13 in the passage I just read and you're hearing today. And he says, when I, was, when I became full grown, I put away childish things. That leads us a perfect segue into the second thing that the second command that the apostle Peter gives us in this passage the first is that we must love one another it's non-negotiable you must love one another think about don't look around the room but think about just go through your mind right now of people that are part of this assembly with you that maybe they're very different than you do you love them you're gonna have to We've had, we have a lot of differences. It's part of the beauty of the church. We come from all different walks of life. We have different interests. We have different backgrounds. We have different opinions about things. But we must love one another. We must love one another. But then the second command is found at the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to, just for the sake of our understanding today, I want to start in verse 3 which says, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, if you've tasted the kindness of God, if you're acquainted with the grace and the mercy of God, if you have been born again, anyone been born again today? If you have been born again, 
and tasted of the grace and the mercy of God. Then verse 2 says, then you ought to desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That word desire, the word that I like to drop into its place because it, it, we need to really get a hold of the fact that it's emphatic. It's, it's not just, sometimes that word desire, we can just read over it. The word that gets people's attention is the word crave. Anybody ever craved something? All right. All right, about 20% of us have ever experienced a craving. We might have to form a, media, a, a, a club or something. Uh, because it seems like we're in the minority. I think many of us have experienced a craving of some kind. Someone sends you a picture of something they're eating, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Brother Walker, you texted me yesterday, and I still haven't. I'm going to today, though. He texted me a picture of something he was eating, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to have some of that. And I've got it at the house, and I just never got around to it yesterday. But I'm going to today because I have a craving. I have to have it. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I want to put a craving on you. I want to do that to you. The apostle Peter says, crave the milk of the word. Crave the basic things of the word of God. Now, it has to do with growth, but, but he says that you may grow thereby. So this, this command is about, it has to do with growth. But notice, that's not what the apostle commands us to do. He doesn't say grow he says, crave. He doesn't just say grow. He says, desire, crave. Because he knows that if we have a desire, if we have a craving for the things of God, that you will grow. He's saying, here's what he's saying. Instead of taking aim at what you do, he's taking aim at who you are. He's given us an even stronger, found an even stronger, more challenging command. He says, if you are the kind of person who has experienced the saving grace of God, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, he says, you must then be the kind of person who desires, who craves the things of God. And if you are that kind of person, the apostle says, you will grow. You'll grow. Joseph, in the Old Testament, knew a thing or two about living in an environment that was hostile to what he believed. Joseph, you might remember, in the, la in the later part of Genesis, was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. He was sold into slavery. He was taken to Egypt. He was enlisted uh, into the service of a man named Potiphar, and uh, he ended up in prison. And, and, and the end of the story is that Joseph, uh, miraculously, because he's able to interpret a dream, a lot like Daniel, he's able to interpret a dream. He ends up in a high prominent position in Egypt. He's the second in command. We would call him the prime minister of Egypt. And he answers to no one except Pharaoh. But there's a long road that's between the pit and the palace. And there's all kinds of things that happen along the way. There's all kinds of pain. And there's all kinds of hurt. And in the middle of all that pain and hurt, as if it's not enough, he's going through those things. He's going through those things while in Egypt. He's in a foreign country. He's surrounded by people that do not share his values. Fact is, many of them are hostile to the values that he has. And 
I figured who it was that mentioned it maybe Wednesday night. But Egyptians hated, hated shepherds. They hated shepherds. Well, Joseph, come, Joseph comes from a family of shepherds. He couldn't be more out of place. He wasn't in Babylon, but it was close. It was Egypt. And Joseph is living there throughout the years, and though his story eventually takes the right turn, and God has his hand on Joseph's life, Joseph has a track record and a history that is acquainted with grief and suffering. And his testimony is found in how he names his children, his two boys. In Genesis chapter 41, verse 51, it says, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, which means God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I've come to tell somebody today, you may feel like your entire world is inside out. You may be so put off by what's going on in this world and so out of place and this world, the direction that it's going may feel so foreign to you but I'm here to tell you today I see it in the life of Joseph I see it in the life of Daniel I see it in the life of Simon Peter and the people that he originally wrote to you can be fruitful in the land of your affliction you can grow in the things of God You can grow, Joseph, you can grow into the person that God would have you to be. And you can do it in Egypt, you can do it in Babylon, you can do it in 2023. It doesn't matter what the setting is, but if you will return to the basics of craving the things of God. I'm telling you, if there's one thing, if there's one switch that I could throw, and and if there's a magic wand that I had, and, and I had one thing I could do with it, it would be to ignite a desire, a craving, something in the hearts of God's people that they would have this insatiable desire, this overwhelming appetite for the things of God. But I can't do that. I can't preach good enough or hard enough or loud enough or long enough. I can't. I wish that I could. I wish I could pour myself out this morning and that at the end of it, we would have 100% that we're just on fire and craving the things of God. But I can't do that. I wish I could. I know that it's, there's no silver bullets in life, but if there was a silver bullet, this might be the closest thing to it. Desiring, craving the things of God. In Babylon, we never outgrow the basic command of God to love our neighbor, to love one another. And in Babylon, we never outgrow the basics of God's word. Absolutely. I hope that you advance into the deep things of God. I hope that line upon line and precept upon precept, that God, that your knowledge of the things of God and your insight into the things of God and your ability to 
practice and live out the things of God, I hope that it advances. I hope that it goes beyond the introductory level in your life. But when we are in a, hear me, in the Holy Ghost this morning, when we are in the times that we are living in today, we can never grow beyond the basic things of the Word of God. We can never become bored with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can never become bored with the new birth experience of repenting of your sins, being baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and being baptized with God's Spirit speaking in other tongues. We can never get bored with holiness, with righteousness, with Christian character, with living right, with loving one another, with going back to the basic things of God. We can never get bored with those things because if we become bored with those things, We will be not like the generation of Daniel. We will be like the generation of Ezra and Nehemiah that when they returned to the promised land and all things were starting to be accounted for, our children will know nothing of the things of God. They will have intermarried with the things of this world. And we'll have some very painful heavy lifting to do. cannot put your growth in God on autopilot. Parents, parents, moms and dads, you cannot put the discipleship of your children on cruise control. Not in Babylon. Not ever, but especially not now. Because one of the tragic realities of exile is this, that people start to lose their grip on God's word and what it teaches. I've already mentioned Ezra and Nehemiah, but when they came out of captivity and started to come back, and they were building them walls, and they were able to build those walls. Let me tell you about it. They were able to build those walls. But when they all stood together and started to see how they were living, hear me, they were able to, Brother Brian, they were able to get some stuff done. I mean, we're talking about bricks. We're talking about swords and trowels, and I mean, they're fighting, they're building. But when the curtain came down, and everyone starts looking around and seeing how everybody's living, they're attached to a lot of things they had no business being attached to. They're intermarried with a lot of things, a lot of practices, and a lot of people that they have no business being intermarried to and connected with. It was a wreck. And the word of God tells us that when Ezra stood up, Ezra had purposed in his heart to teach the word of God to the people. God had prepared him for that hour. And when Ezra stood up and he opened those old scrolls and he started to read it, it's where our custom of standing for the reading of the word of God comes from. They stood. They stood for hours. And they heard the word of God. And they wept. They wept. Now I'll give them this. They, 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 they got off track. They got way off track. They had some serious heavy lifting to do. They had to make some painful separations from some things that they held very dear. But I will give them this. They had a craving for the word of God. They didn't know anything about it. They were very deficient in their knowledge of the things of God. But they stood Hear me, brothers and sisters, they stood for 
hours to hear the word of God read to them out loud. There were no pyrotechnics. There were no screens or special effects. It was a man standing and reading, not commenting, reading the word of God for hours. And they stood to hear it because they had a craving, a desire for the things of God. The musicians would come. I want to point out the thread as they come that runs through this entire passage in 1 Peter. Because there's two commands that seem like they're not super connected. They both represent very basic things that we must do if we're going to survive in the times that we're living in. We have to love one another. And we have to desire the sincere milk that we need to crave after the things of God. But the thing that connects both of them is the word of God. The word of God. Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. That passage that says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The word of God is your greatest and most valuable resource. And in Babylon, you need to be very familiar with what the word of God says. Hear me, brothers and sisters, you need to be saturated with the word of God. There's not many times that you'll find me without God's word nearby. It's the most valuable possession I have. For the word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word can do things in your life that nothing else can do. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine. For reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Said another way, the Word of God will teach you what to believe and what not to believe. What to do and what not to do. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path I love this message of God's word I love the gospel of the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ the apostle Peter says now this is the word the rhema which by the gospel was preached to you it's the living word it's the spoken word I love having God's word taught to me. 
I love having God's word preached to me. I love having the word of God overlaid over my life so that I can, Brother Billy, I can see where I'm falling short at. I'm not intimidated by it. I welcome it. The word of God gives me life. It teaches me how to live. It's kept me out of trouble. And when I'm in trouble, it teaches me how to get out. It teaches me how to think, how to live, how to talk, how to conduct myself. How then shall they call on him who they have not heard? How shall they believe in him of who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I came to the realization this morning. I've prepared for several days. And I came to the realization this morning, humbling realization, that for the walker, I was not going to be able to preach hard enough or clear enough powerfully enough to ignite what needs to be ignited in the people of God in this day it was going to have to be a work of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost is here right now the Spirit of God is here in this room right now and if you have any sort of appetite whatsoever for the things of God God will meet you in this place. And he will give, there's strength that's going to flow this morning. Stand with me in this place. There's strength that's going to flow. There's wisdom for your life that's going to flow in the house of the Lord this morning. But it's going to take somebody saying, there's something that I desire more than anything else in this world. I want to know him.